Hello, this is How to PhD, episode number 34. Following on from last week, in this episode, we'll be taking you through our PhDs and covering all of the ups and downs, and especially everything we learned from the process. Hello, and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined by my co-host, Julia. Hello. And so, yeah, I think just as a kind of overview of this episode, it's kind of an idea that we had was that, you know, we we only often see the kind of final layer of success, right, on Twitter and social media. uh, And we don't really see all of the ups and downs that that can happen in a PhD. And so uh, when we sort of thought about that, actually, we've gone through a lot of these. And so this week we're going through Julia's PhD, which was three years so maybe it's a shorter episode this time around um but with a focus on you know some of the the the, the troubles that you had but particularly and, and this is the key thing about the episode uh the things that you can take away from what we've learned um and so julia you we ready to dive into your three years of doctorate yeah it was really strange for the preparation for this episode i went through old emails um and the phd i looked at timeline old presentations and was a bit of a time travel really <laughs> but yeah. yeah hopefully i can share some things that will be helpful for your phd journey yes so let's get started with year one So, Julia, year one of your PhD. Uh, tell us all about it. <laughs> it all started in October 2017. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I think I started highly motivated. I was so excited. I was so glad that I got this PhD opportunity. Um, but also I started with a quite a high level, I think, of imposter syndrome at the start already because I thought, oh, I don't have research experience. I don't have an idea about the topic at all. It will be quite tough. So I think I um, at the beginning, I was not really um, not working on weekends. So I think I was reading quite a lot on weekends and starting to write stuff because I thought, OK, I have to I have to work really hard to make this happen. And I also remember the introduction that we had at um, medical school that someone who just had submitted their thesis was presenting and talking about their PhD stories and um, it sounded so negative you know it's just like oh at the end there will be a light at the end of the tunnel I thought why they're not really advertising a PhD Mm, here I'm so motivated what's this is not really uh, advertising for me but now I understand that because it can be quite tough really um as I soon found out anyway so it started pretty good I think I had weekly meetings with my supervisor and it was really nice I felt we had a Good conversations and we are developing ideas together um, and everything was kind of building up to my first meeting with all supervisors um, so I had three supervisors on board at the beginning and I had a big like the plan for my research mm. plan um, I was really nervous about this first big meeting and then what happened is that it never took place um, so I, I rocked up at the time and date for supervision and then um, the person that told me, like, sorry, but your supervision is not going to happen and um, can't really talk to you right now about this, um, but please go home. Yeah, it was, like, so, like, it was like FBI level stuff, <laughs> isn't it? It's just like, well, the, the, we, we, can't, we can't give you a reason why, but your meeting's not taking place. Well, right? yeah, so I went home and then I got this email saying that my supervisor left the university and they told me not to worry that would find an, another supervisor for me but i was devastated i think i was really upset and thought how is that going to continue and um, i felt i had no plan that was i think just before the winter break and i felt my first three months really i had 
kind of not an idea of what's gonna happen who's gonna work with me um what was happening so i had this module as well which was compulsory to to do and there was an assignment and um although i knew that it would not count towards my phd grade or something it's completely irre irrelevant you just have to do it right um but i remember i worked so hard on that assignment because i thought i have to get a really really high mark to impress whatever my supervisor is gonna be right so i felt a lot of pressure when thinking back i think i should have probably um not worked on that every <laughs> mm -hmm. um like hour in my holiday because um in the end it, it wasn't really relevant for that but i think at the beginning everything just seemed so super important Then in January, so when I came back, I met my new supervisor and um, yeah, she looked at my plan that I had created. I said, like, I have far too many studies planned. This is not realistic. I could not do that with the, the three years of funding that I had. And she felt there was not really a clear story in my plan. I was, I was really upset because I thought I worked um, so hard with my previous supervisor on that. And now uh, someone's telling me that... Um, this is not really good enough or not realistic. Um, and I, in the end, I'm so glad I had her and she's my supervisor still today. So um, we had a really good collaboration and she was the one really getting me back on track, I think. Um, and, um, but, it, but it took a long time, I think. Um, I, when I first sending her my new plans, um, um, there was a lot of things that I hadn't considered and she was pointing out. So I felt all my plans I was sending here were being ripped apart <laughs> again and again. And I started feeling stressed um, and feeling behind because others were already had their plans together and continued supervision. So I definitely felt I'm um, quite stressed at that point. But I guess it's um, it's sort of a good example of uh, I get, yeah, it, sometimes it's perceived negatively if you have to sort of stop and mm, change yeah. direction. But actually, this is a good example of where um, that kind of intervention uh, really helped oh, yeah. shape the PhD. And it was actually a really positive intervention. Exactly, yeah. And that, then I think in springtime, I felt the start, the project plan was finally coming together. Um, and I also started then my ethics application, with, which is, again, was quite overwhelming. But um, yeah, I felt things are going into one direction now and I had to get my documents for the end review um, together and so I felt by August, it was early I think in August um, that my um, annual review took place. So everything I had was just my annual review documents and the ethics application um, and others so were far ahead but at least I felt um, good at that point I felt okay now I have a plan at least and after my annual review is done I can really start Uh, with my project and um, so I passed my annual review with barely in corrections I think that was the first big achievement that I felt and relief that I thought okay I, I can do that and ethics were out of the way finally submitted so those were definitely the mood boosters um, at the end of my year one <laughs> um, and I think for the key takeaways for ourselves would be First of all, yeah, one thing I forgot to mention, actually, that as a non-native, I think um, not to worry if it's taking a long time to read papers at the beginning or if the topic is new, if you will become much quicker in reading, I think, academic mm. papers in yeah. your field. But I remember at the beginning, I was so tired <laughs> after working one day because um, and I felt I was so slow with everything. But that was just because the language was new, the topic was new. And yeah, I'm not non-native. Um, then also, I think what a lot of PhD students um, experience is that a change in supervision can be 
really upsetting, I think. And um, but as in my case, it was a a new chance in the end, right? As you said, Aaron, like um, because someone looked at my project with a fresh pair of eyes, and so I think. Um, of course, I think always if you give a proposal to another person, they will always have something to criticize or something they would do differently. Yeah. And why that's not always necessary to change something, I think is definitely like enriching. Um, and so, yeah, not to be all negative about that and um, just acknowledge it will probably take a little bit of time to get to know each other and get used to working together. But it will be for the better yeah. in the end. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, that take like that taking time for plan um, actually is also worth doing, worth investing time in to really think through a plan, even if you feel a little bit behind. Um, I think that was really, really the crucial um, time of my PhD. Which is really interesting because if you compare our two PhDs, I mean, the first years are really you in, actually in were some doing ways, stuff. Well, in some ways, um, yeah, but, different um, yeah. in that, or some ways, um, yeah, different in that. Yeah, I had a study. I was but no doing plan. stuff, but there was no, there was no <laughs> overall plan. plan. No yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but perhaps yeah, that's that's a real important takeaway, especially mm. for you know listeners in their first year. That you know it, there are many different ways a PhD can go, and it, you know just because yours is not going in a particular direction mm. compared to your colleagues and things, is that it doesn't you know you can still end up at the same destination. So. That was an interesting start to you on, like lots of dramatic yeah. things well, happening. Well, not much of, happened, but then also... Some, yeah. some big changes, <laughs> big yeah, changes, and yeah. some unexpected yeah. things. So let's, uh, let's move on to year two. Okay, so year two, the kind of dust has settled on the plan now. You've mm -hmm. got a stable supervision. So what happens yeah. next? That's right. So now it was actually time to do research. <laughs> and my first um, bit of research that I did was my systematic review, which um, I said many times in our uh, podcast, I think that I really love them, but it was the first time and it was quite difficult, I think, at the beginning. Mm. I had two um, medical students who were helping me conducting the review. Um, so I second reviewers. And that was challenging for me, I think, to be line managing two students on something that I had never done before. So they were coming to me asking questions, which I felt I couldn't really answer because I hadn't done it before, like how long stuff will take or what decisions to make. And yeah, I definitely felt um, a bit of pressure, time pressure, because my students had to finish within a certain time frame um, with the projects that they were supporting me with. And I also felt I needed to get this review wrapped up within like nine months of where this literature search was conducted it's just because otherwise it might get out of date basically your search so i definitely felt quite a lot of pressure and also it was the first time where i was working um and having to supervise someone and to realize that they were just working in different ways to me so i think i wanted them to be like me basically a little julia clothes uh working in the same having the same kind of expectations and um habits that i have and i had to realize okay no they work in different ways and i have mm. to kind of adjust to that um but what was really helpful was that i was doing a teaching qualification on the site and that really helped me to reflect on what the problems with me working with the students um where and how i could improve um how i was um, supervising them um so i think that was a big learning curve and 
then we really made good progress. The students both finished with um, very good grades, their projects. Um, so that kind of was a boosting me as well. Okay, mm -hmm. stuff yeah. had gone right in the end, but um, like, so realizing you can work in different ways and get really good results um, with both. Ways. And we, we mentioned a tool for that in, in earlier episodes. It was called the Supervisor, Supervisor Manual. Manual, yeah, that's manual, right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if I had heard that back then, you know, then I think it would have made um, things easier, much faster. So I think that was one of the key and takeaways. As a quick, take quick recap, essentially, it was a document uh, which I believe should be on the resources page at the yeah. website. Um, but I will double check. And it's essentially a, a one-page document which puts down in, in words how you work and, and what you like and what you don't mm. like about you know the, the the way in which you work and, and communicate um, so I think we talked about that on an earlier episode but yeah definitely worth mm. um, you know listeners checking that out because as you said that would have yeah. really really helped in, yeah, in that time that's right. yeah then I think um, after that review, yeah, good stuff was happening. Um, I won a poster award for my systematic review. And again, I think it's not because I had the most exciting systematic review ever, but um, because I think um, that one of my strengths that I had gained previously, so not through the PhD, but through previous roles, is to like be good at communicating stuff. So I think that was nice for me to see. Um, I felt so behind with my research, but actually I could bring other stuff, um, other qualities as well. And then um, what was also a nice experience was Pint of Science to uh, present there, because it helped me again reflect on the progress I'd made and made and also to um, see, okay, people, members of the public were actually interesting in what I'm doing. Because yeah. I didn't really feel that someone was... We, we should <laughs> mention, because I, I know, yeah, a lot of our listeners are based in and around Europe. Mm. And Pint of Science is a fantastic initiative, which I believe is European. In fact, I think, I think it might, so. it might be worldwide, worldwide, actually. Even, yeah. um, but the idea is that you do science talks, but in a super informal setting, like in a pub, in a pub or yeah. a theatre and things. And mm. it's a really good way of engaging with the public. So again, you know, we talk a lot about you know um, um sort of public engagement and engaging with people in different formats not just academically mm. uh, as we're going to get on to in the next point um but doing these sorts of things as you said can just be a sort of re-energizer exactly um, it's yeah. a pint of science yeah. and another one which is well known is called data beers as well so well yeah. worth checking those two out yeah and then i also attended my first conference um which was in Birmingham, so a 40 uh, minute train drive. So not very exciting as it's a PhD as, student. Not as exotic as um, Florida and things like that. And I felt I didn't really get anything out of it. It was really interesting to listen, but I didn't make really connections with other people um, there. And yeah, because I went there by myself and I felt I didn't really fit in as well. I think that's one reflection as well that I, I didn't very wisely, I think, choose my conferences in my PhD because I attended them around they were like sexual health conferences but i think my research would have fitted better in with pharmacy conferences or health service delivery conference so again i think think carefully be about the focus of your research and where you fit in because i think if you're in the wrong place you will get less interest and um yeah not be able to make the most of out of um yeah your research in the end impact or the impact um yeah so key takeaways i think yeah again being flexible when you work with others don't expect them to work in the same way like you do um do a teaching qualification i think if you have time because not only will it um, help you reflect on on your teaching or supervising i think it's also quite important for applications for 
um, as a research fellow if you want to stay in academia I think will definitely be helpful and you will have more time doing during your PhD I know for some that might sound crazy but I think <laughs> it's easier to do it in the PhD where there's acknowledged that you have time for training um, rather than for the than in the research as a research fellow yeah um, we should mention those teaching qualifications are from the higher education, higher education academy. academy so HEA in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, in the UK. Um, and usually universities have some kind of a course that you can do to sort of get on that and, and there'll be someone to support you with that but just to mention mm -hmm. uh, with the teaching qualification stuff because I think it also might have an impact whether you're paid f to be a teacher but I'm not 100% sure about that but yeah definitely that was a good experience and yeah present and different yeah, events um, conferences or, but also public engagement events can be a real motivation booster um, and yeah oh I forgot so the last thing in year two was actually that I started recruitment, recruiting from pharmacy staff and pharmacy users on the experiences of um, sexual health services. And it was not going to plan at all. Um, my plan was for pharmacies to hand out flyers to patients um, to recruit them for my study. Nobody was interested. So I didn't get any patients to talk to me. Um, obviously, it's a very sensitive topic, sexual health and yeah, I was really getting frustrated and panicky because I thought I do need my data. <laughs> Where am I going to get data from? And so what I did in the end was that I had to change my recruitment strategy. So I was no longer recruiting through flyers and pharmacies, but instead I was um, recruiting through a website that was linked to the service um, that I was interested in looking at or evaluating. And suddenly, I, I think I had 100 people contact me whether they could take part in my research and just showed I just choose the wrong recruitment method. Um, and so I think, so if things don't go to plan, don't be stubborn and try to make it work. So sometimes I think it just needs to take a step back and to yeah be open for new ideas and new ways how, how things can work, like, like the recruitment. Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, I think being flexible and sort of, uh, creative, creative with yeah, ways yeah. in which you can sort of solve problems like recruitment if, if that's an issue or if you're in a lab and, and you're running into issues with equipment and things like that um, there's always a way forward and, and yeah. just I think being open to that yeah. is really important and maybe so one more thing with that is um, also when you do write your ethics applications to think about what is the worst case scenario what mm. if your plan does not work have another idea of how you could for example do recruitment in an alternative way so right so now if i write ethics application i really think hmm what if that method does not work so i leave a back door open say if that is not working we may also do this and that you know to to not having to go back to ethics and hand in an amendment it will just take more time yeah yeah very good advice so uh, that was year two now we're going to wrap things up uh, in the final year with year three So here we are, the, the finishing line is in sight. It's the final year for you. Um, tell us all about how you ended up submitting and finishing the PhD. So I finished my recruitment, um, which was a big, I think, yeah, moment to finish my data collection. Um, so I had my qualitative data and the analysis took me so much time. It was unbelievable. I tried to do coding um, using um, online software. 
I was coding using paper with paper and scissors. I, I think you remember our living room was covered in like codes it's and like post notes <laughs> and scraps of paper. I everywhere. found it really, really hard. And now, if I think now I'm doing qualitative analysis so much faster. So I think it's just, it just needs a lot of practice. I think in the end, would help someone saying just like, how would you summarize the findings to a friend? What what story would you be telling them? And to so step away a little bit of all my codes and all that, and just like actually start just writing something and then the story came together quite quickly and um but yeah it just uh, i don't know if i felt it took me a couple of months to to make progress on that the other thing was that i always had this quantitative data so um, i didn't have to collect this the data myself um but it was a secondary analysis and this data set that i got had so many limitations and problems and I was really frustrated because I felt I couldn't really do an advanced statistical analysis on that because there wasn't much to do. It had too many holes in it. But I think in the end, just accepting that, that it had problems and more thinking about, so how, because um, this data came from a, a service, how could they do the data and uh, collection better in the future? So it's, it's, it's more helpful for researchers to actually um, find out about how this the service delivery is, is working right so rather than seeing it as a negative of oh my god i don't have good data to analyze to actually say what can we do make better yeah i think that's a really important point because in the end the doctorate is not about results that are going to be absolutely you know foolproof bulletproof mm. it's fine to have things that don't go the way you expected as you say yeah. but it's about focusing on okay well you know what can we learn from it um because a re you know all results will t get, tell you yeah. something right even the ones which are, are, a negative result is still telling you something and i think you, you did that really well yeah and also acknowledging your limitations so i think i could have done a very advanced um like statistical um analysis that would have kind of been a way to go around all these limitations but in the end i talked to my supervisor and we said like you're not i'm not a statistician i'm not like trained to do this um so i think it's it's better for me to acknowledge that and um just be upfront about that in the end i got two publications out of that study so although i felt oh it was quite a simple thing only descriptive stats i think the discussion that i was able to write right around it and again giving recommendations on how we can improve data collection actually made it worth in the end so then I was in this awkward situation almost that I almost had too much time um, for writing my thesis. I think I had m more than six months left. Um, but And I think sometimes that was a bit a problem in the way that I didn't have enough pressure to just get stuff done and finished. So it was just like, yeah, I think at the end, in contrast to you, um, you were still enjoying the final edits. I just was so <laughs> sick of it at the end because I had looked at it for too long. But I think on the other hand, it meant that I was able to to write journal papers, um, so, so to write everything up. I think a lot of people ask, oh no, I, I didn't have time for that in my PhD and how can I get funding for that to do it after? So I think I was really lucky that I had, had time to work on that during my PhD. And I also had time to get involved in other people's projects. So I was doing a scoping review and another systematic review with a friend of mine. And um, that was really helpful because I'm looking forward into um, like applying for research fellow jobs. I then had more stuff on my CV that I had been doing and I also connected with other researchers um, at my department. So it was really good actually to have that extra time. 
and and I also yeah I think I finished quite uh, happy with getting my qualitative paper um, published before my um, Viva um, and I think my rationale with that was like to redo a qualitative analysis so if people are not happy with the, your your themes or with your codes then it's quite I think a lot of work to redo that because I thought okay with a quantitative bit I leave that because my the quantitative they're not going to change right it's easier to do another ex, uh, analysis in Excel than go through that process again so I was glad I had that done and yeah the last year was also um the time went to Shanghai for a conference which was an amazing experience um, in terms of traveling but again as I mentioned before I didn't get much out of it and I think again I did the same mistake <laughs> that I was at the wrong place where I, my research really didn't fit in um, so but you got an amazing holiday but I, <laughs> so I can't <laughs> complain too much but yeah but I think this is an important point because um, you know uh, I think a lot of times PhD candidates might think, oh, you know, they might get to those that point and think, oh, no, no, I've got to do a little bit more. I've got to do a bit more. Mm. I've got to add this. I've got to do another study. And actually, you know, in your case, you know, you actually showed that, you know, you can actually have, um, you know, a, a relatively long period of time at the end mm. um, and you still have enough to be yeah. able to pass the PhD, yeah. right? That's, that's quite an important thing because mm. often... I think, you know, in that rush to add one more study, one more finding, uh, you can actually lose track of the site that the PhD is not, you're never going to completely answer any question. Um, it's going to mm. be something where you've demonstrated good research and yeah. you've done a good and you've contributed to knowledge. Um, mm. And that's enough. Right. And and I think that's a, this is a great example of how you can actually have that run up to the end actually be relatively spacious mm. um and and have time for other things yeah that's true that's true and i think for me that would have been more stressful i mean in the end i did two more studies but they were not related to my phd i think if i had known okay you have to do more two more studies for your phd that would have been quite stressful whereas with that i that was like i was doing that as extra work um but yeah anyway so i think the key takeaways from year three were with the qualitative analysis, I think it just takes a lot of time at the beginning, the first time you do it, as with everything, I think. Um, so don't get frustrated, be patient, it will come together. And next time you're going to be much faster. Um, then, yeah, with data sets, as I said, if they have limitations, um, just see what you can learn from that ever other. And don't be frustrated if it's not what you wanted it to be. <laughs> And yeah, think carefully about which conference you choose. Um, make sure you fit in, and um, yeah, learn from when when you felt you didn't get anything out of your conference, why that was, and what you could have maybe done differently. And yeah, I mean, I said that there's no such thing. Why well, I said like I had too much time for the writer, but I think in the end there's no such thing as having too much time because then always I said like fill your time up with other stuff. Um, that can be beneficial in terms of your future career. That's right. Yeah. So, what a yeah interesting uh, three years that was. But quite again, <laughs> yeah. quite a contrast to my experience. And hopefully, you know, as as the listeners, it's given you some 
if you're currently struggling on your PhD, it's currently you know giving you some hope that you know struggles and ups and downs are completely normal, um, and to just sort of embrace that as part of the challenge of the PhD, and that you will get to the end, and um, and there are many different paths to get there, as as we've seen in the last two weeks. So, Julia, thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time to share your doctoral journey, uh, and we hope you all found it useful. Thank you so much for listening to How to PhD. As always, if you know of someone who you think could benefit from this episode, then please do share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to the show and you'd like to support us, you can do that by leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts or Audible, or by visiting our website at howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through Buy Me A Coffee. And as always, thank you so much to everyone who's supporting us over on that platform. Of course, howtophd.show is where you can find all the show notes and links to all the things that we talk about. Uh, and please do get in touch contact at howtophd.show is the email and twitter and instagram at howtophdshow julia next week we are going back to a sort of more of our sort of traditional programming and uh talk about a quite a useful method yes so we're going to be talking about public engagement and public involvement i've recently been doing a lot of public involvement for my research project that i'm planning at the moment and it was really great i really enjoyed it and hopefully we can um, share some tips on you how to do it why to do it and yeah hopefully it will be useful yes yeah it'll be a good one so have a wonderful week everyone and we'll see you all next time